Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you wanna mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you wanna jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. Welcome to this week's Bengals Chalk Talk. I am Matt Minnick. So the season is now officially over. We have a Super Bowl champion. And now, I mean, as Bengals fans, we've been focused and moving forward already. But but now it's really start to, uh, you know, time to start changing gears and moving into the offseason. Uh, and as we all know, there are going to be big changes coming this offseason. Uh, Joe Burrow is coming. Uh, there's free agency. So there's, there's potential you know, losses and gains uh, for the Bengals in free agency. Um, and, you know, there's also a lot of uh, trade and cut rumors uh, coming out of Cincinnati as well. So, you know, one thing that I think is really important, uh, really in anything you do, but, you know, that I that I try and uh, incorporate is you got to know what you're good at and and then know when, when you need to bring in an expert. Uh, and, and when it comes to, uh, you know, contracts and, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, fifth year options and things like that. You know, I've read up on it um, and, and I, I have a very rudimentary uh, understanding, uh, but, you know, we got to bring in an expert. Uh, so that's what I'm doing today. Uh, I am joined by Andre Parada, uh, who knows this stuff inside and out. Uh, he's a great follow on Twitter. Every time anybody's getting getting uh you know cut or or traded or or you know signed for for extension uh he's right there with the cap implications like you know it's almost right after you see Schefter posting the news you you see Andre up there so uh Andre how are you doing today I'm doing great thanks for having me on Matt yeah absolutely so uh glad to have you here so lots to talk about so you know first off just overall where are the Bengals today uh, in terms of, you know, their cap situation uh, and where they compare to the rest of the league? Sure. So right now, uh, the cap hasn't officially been set yet. That'll be set at the end of this month. They usually set it uh, once the NFLPA and the NFL get together around the combine. It's usually been at the combine is when the actual uh, un- when the adjust unadjusted cap number comes out, which is just the league wide cap, it's expected to be anywhere between 198, 198 million to 200 million. Uh, so just for the sake of simple math, let's just assume that it's around 200 million dollars. Now, that's the unadjusted cap. The reason I say unadjusted is because uh, since the I keep referring to it as the new CBA, but it's set to expire already next year. But the CBA that was that we're currently under, which was signed in 2011, allowed for every team to roll over every unused cap dollar from the previous season into the next year's cap. So the unadjusted cap should be around 200 million bucks. The Bengals, uh, like they've done every year, like most teams have done, if not every team, they uh, have already rolled over their unused cap from the 2019 season. Um, is that unused cap amount, I believe, is around $10.8 million. So if you add that $10.8 million to uh, roughly you know, $200 million that we mentioned, we're at about two hundred ten for the Bengals. Now, that's the $210 million. That value is called the adjusted cap. And so then you look at the cap commitments they currently have. And according to OTC over the cap, which is an invaluable resource to any cap enthusiast or even anybody who has any interest in uh, – NFL player contracts or the CBA in general, they project the Bengals to have 
you know, based on their adjusted cap, they project the Bengals right now to sit at 44.7 million. The reason why they've actually been reporting that as around 50 million, but it's been a little lower. I think they're factoring in some incentives that have been earned and that will kick against the cap this year. Those incentives are earned like by players like uh, you know Bobby Hart, right tackle, who had a playtime incentive that he that he hit uh, this year that triggers a, bo- a, a bonus to be earned next year. And so that way we're at forty four point seven, which actually sits according to OTC, the Bengals are right in the middle of the pack. It's about sixteenth or seventeenth, depending on these other teams' numbers. So right in the middle of the pack. But as I'm sure we'll talk about, Matt, you know the Bengals are very likely to to trade Andy Dalton. We'll talk about potential value. I'm sure. But that'll clear completely 17.7 million in cap and cash off the Bengals books. They're likely to trade him before the start of the offseason workout program, so they won't have to play his offseason workout bonus. So they're going to clear 17.7 million in cap and cash. So if you add that 17.7 million, which is likely to happen, we'll talk about some other cuts too, but Dalton is is not going to be around. Uh, he's not going to be on the Bengals roster in 2020. So that'll create. million, you add that to what OTC currently has projected at 44.7 million, that bumps you up to 62.4 million. And that puts the Bengals at sixth, sixth most cap space in the league at 62.4. Of course, that puts them right in front of the Broncos, but the Broncos have a massive contract with Joe Flacco that they'll probably get out of uh, this year via release. So that'll bump them up quite a bit too. But if you add what what over the cap currently has projected at 44.7 million. You add the likely 17.7 to that via the Dalton uh, release or trade, or, you know, he's going to be off the roster. And so again, you're at 62.4, which is an incredible amount of room. I mean, you can pretty much do anything that you want uh, with that, especially considering, as you mentioned, Joe Burrow is uh, going to be a Bengal. I mean, all the talk about recently, all the, just the noise about him not possibly wanting to play there. Carson Palmer's comments last week at the Super Bowl. I think there was a text today from Joe Bur- uh, Joe Burrow's father who said there's been, you know, he'd, he'd be honored to be even considered to be the first pick. Um, so I don't think any of that's going to gonna happen. He's not, he's not going to want to avoid playing in Cincinnati or anything. So he's going to be there. He's going to be the pick. He's going to be on an incredibly valuable contract. Um, and so the Bengals can really, if they want to, uh, kind of deviate from their their norm, they can do some damage in free agency. They're going to have 62.4 million. And that's just assuming Dalton's cut. We haven't even talked about other potential cuts like Cordy Glenn or Drake Kirkpatrick or even some surprising, potential surprising cuts like Sean Williams, potentially. Um, so they're currently at a projected 44.7, which is still a lot, uh, but they're going to be at plus 60, officially around like 62.4 uh, once the Dalton trade is, is officially consummated. So... Uh, you always hear about the rookie salary cap. So uh, that would be that number would come out of uh, of the 62.4, you know, based on yes. the presumably seven draft picks we have. I don't I don't think we're projected to get any uh, supplementals. So that number would come out of that. Uh, that's correct. correct. Yeah. Okay. So that's that that cap. So that it's, there's going to be a rookie cap. And that is just the amount of cap room that's needed to sign all the rookies. And so that's a cap within the cap. So that's a cap within the salary cap. So that'll come out of that figure. But you also have to uh, recall, too, that those guys that eventually sign and make the team at the 53, they're going to bump off some guys who are at the bottom tier of the roster, too. Right. Mm-hmm. So, for example, they draft a safety in the sixth round. That guy makes the team. You currently in it, uh, Fedge is, you know, an unrestricted free agent. Let's assume he's not back, but we can talk about that later on. You got a guy like Trayvon Henderson, right? 
who's making league minimum and his salary, uh, which is actually still more than what a rookie would make. And so it, it, it kind of washes itself out. So um, it, it is a cap within the cap, uh, having the number one overall pick and then obviously the number one pick in each subsequent round, unless they trade down, of course, or move out of those spots. But yes, to your point, whatever the cap number, the cap room ends up being, the rookies are going to eat into that. But it really is not going to be that much from a cap perspective. And I'll kind of, you know, kind of segue into how what a potential Joe Burrow contract is going to look like. Yeah, if you look absolutely. no further, you know, if we look no further than what the number one pick last year signed for, Kyler Murray, quarterback for Arizona, coming out of Oklahoma. You know, he signed a four-year, uh, I believe, thirty-five million dollar deal. But of that um, thirty-five million, twenty-three was already devoted to a signing bonus. Uh, and so the substantial portion for Joe Burrow's contract, you know, the substantial portion of the cash is going to be in the form of a very large signing bonus. It's going to be about $25 million. And so the good thing is that um, that's not going to be his cap number because you can prorate or divide evenly essentially over the life of the four years of the rookie deal, uh, that $25 million. So let's assume Burrow gets a $25 million signing bonus. It's going to be a four-year deal. You have the fifth-year option. But for cap accounting purposes, you only prorate it for, through the fourth year. And so that's $6.25 million that gets allocated for cap purposes. And Burrow is actually his base salary is going to be at the league minimum, which is going to be this, which is the same for any player drafted number one overall. They get a huge bonus. So that's a huge cash, the okay. signing bonus. And then they get a very nominal salary. I mean, nominal in, 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 in the realm of NFL football players. But Burrow is actually going to be paid as a base salary, $510,000 next year, uh, just his salary. And then he'll get the $25 million bonus. So in cash, in his pocket, he'll have almost $26 million. But for the Bengals' cap purposes for 2020, you take that $25 million divided by four, that's $6.25 million. You add the half a million, give or take, so that's $510,000. Joe Burrow's cap number is going to be under seven for next year. So he's going to get paid a lot of money. The bank, Mike Brown's going to write a huge check. Now, the timing of those payments, too, the Bengals will probably like to defer some of those payments or split the, the, the signing bonus in two so they're not writing a huge $25 million check of the signing bonus. But he's got his cash, but people think, oh, he was paid that much money. That's a huge cap hit. Well, again, to, to prorate that bonus over the four years, that's $6.25 million, and then just add his base salary from next year, which is – 0.5 million, 510k, mm -hmm. and you're at 6.75 million. You're under seven million dollars for his cap hit. Now, again, so, as you mentioned at the beginning, that seven point, that seven million or 6.75 is going to come out of this the the 44 million or 62 million or whatever number they have. But um, you know, it's going to be a large amount of cash that's going to be given to Joe Burrow. But the cap implications um, aren't going to be that significant. It's going to be a cap hit again under seven million bucks. So really, we're looking at about six point seven million. Uh, so if That's they exactly. did not sign, uh, if they do not sign a veteran backup, with trading, cutting Dalton, and drafting Joe Burrow, they are opening up eleven million dollars in the cap. In that in that position, that's one way to look at it. Based on what they've been spending the year prior, or you know, allocating via cap the year prior, mm -hmm. that's correct. Now, you know, we're potentially looking at there's some free agent options, um, some veteran options. I, 
you know, the, the one thing, the, the, the way the, the CBA was structured when it was agreed to in 2011, it allowed these teams, you look at Kansas City, the recent Super Bowl example, you know, Pat Mahomes is on a, you know, he's going to break, he's going to make bank this offseason, most likely he's going to be extended this offseason, which is his first season he's allowed to be extended, it was after year three. But you look at that model, even when Seattle won with Russell Wilson on his rookie deal, he was a third round pick. That competitive advantage, that that advantage that the team gets from having a quarterback on a, a good quarterback on a rookie deal where you can then allocate those cap dollars elsewhere, you know, that really confers such a huge benefit to a team because Joe Burrow, if he, you know, if he lives up to the hype, I mean, I, you know, more from a technical perspective, the skills that he brings, but I just see a player with incredible potential. Uh, and I really think he has the ability to be a, just a phenomenal player at the NFL level, obviously, uh, in, injuries, notwithstanding, hopefully he stays healthy, but nobody can ever really fully account for those. But if he stays healthy, I really, he has all the makings, uh, to be a true franchise quarterback. And so having him, at least in 2020, at a cap hit of $6.75 million is just an incredible advantage. It, it allows you to build out the roster. And as you know, Matt, the Bengals desperately, desperately need to add talent all around the roster, all around Joe Burrow. And so you could make a play for like a Marcus Mariota, for example. He's a free agent. But honestly, I'm not sure like a Marcus Mariota would want to sign in Cincinnati. You know, honestly, I mentioned injury. The only way somebody like Mariota is ever going to play is if Joe Burrow gets hurt. You know, Joe Burrow is going to take every snap. I maybe see at the end of a game if the Bengals are getting blown out or maybe they're winning by a lot, they maybe take Burrow out for the last series or two in the fourth quarter. Um, or potentially if he really struggles, like the first four games that he's really, I mean, he's, you know, the worst case scenario, not injury related. He's just in over his head and they need to just take him out for a little bit because he's incredibly struggling. You know, then a quarterback like that is going to come in. But somebody like Mariota is almost in a position like, Ryan Tannehill took his own job and signed with the Titans last year. You know, a guy coming off his rook, a former first round pick, he's going to look, he's going to ideally want to look for a team where, you know, he's competing against another quarterback who's kind of struggling or there's no entrenched starter, you know, maybe like a Tampa yeah. Bay, depending on what they do in Indianapolis, somewhere where he has a chance to compete. Cause if he comes here, two things. One, I don't think he'd sign here because Joe Burrow, barring injury is going to see, hundred percent of the snaps I, in an ideal world. I mean, he, uh, again, absent some extenuating circumstances, Joe Burrow is going to be there and going to be taking snaps. Uh, and so I don't think Mariota or a player like him would, would want to be in that type of situation. And secondly, Mariota is not going to want to sign for anything less than like 10 million. And so if you sign him for 10 million, knowing that he's not going to play really now, you've kind of already, you've destroyed that advantage that you've created via the, via the very small cap, the relatively small cap that a rookie quarterback gives you. And so, you know, instead of like a Marcus Mariota type of player, I honestly, if it were me, uh, and obviously you're not getting the type of talent he is, but I would, I would prefer a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, honestly, a guy who could be signed for his last contract that he signed with the Dolphins was two years, 11 million. He had some incentives in there that I think kicked it up to 13 million. That's six, you know, that's seven and a half million, or I'm sorry, six and a half million a year. That's doable, right? That that that's something where if you know, like worst case scenario, this guy's going to have to come in. Fitzpatrick, you know, Fitzmagic can win you a game here or there. Um, and while honestly, I think the Bengals will be much improved next year. I don't think they'll win just two games. You know, we'd be lucky if we think we'd maybe be pushing for a playoff spot. So if Fitzpatrick has to make a spot start due to a Joe Burrow injury, you know, it's not like oh, you know, everything's riding on next season. So honestly, I would look for a player like Fitzpatrick, a backup like Fitzpatrick, who's been around, obviously Harvard grad. 
you know, he's, he's been in so many different offensive schemes with different offensive coordinators. He could teach a lot to Joe Burrow in terms of preparation and, you know, what defenses are showing him. So I would look for a player like that if it were just me, you know, just from a cap, even just being honest, like from a cap perspective, from a cost uh, allocation perspective, I would look for a guy like him or a Luke McCown even. I know these guys are almost pushing 40 or right at 40. But honestly, I would look for that because I want to maintain, if I'm building the Bengals roster, I want to maintain that advantage of having such a low cap hit for my quarterback room. You know, you can Absolutely. maybe spend, you can go after a Mariota, but again, I think he's going to command at least, you know, eight figures there. Um, and I, honestly, I don't know if that's worth it for a guy, ideally, who will never even take a snap, right? We want Joe Burrow taking all the snaps next year. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, and if you're looking at, if you're the Miami Dolphins uh, and, and you're you're eyeing up uh, Tua and, and, you know, you're thinking you, maybe he's not going to take a snap ne- next year because of, of his uh, injury situation, it's right. a completely different story. Uh, That's but, exactly but yeah, right. I, yeah, I see where you're coming out with that. Um, I mean, I could, I'm actually in my head starting to lean the direction of maybe they leave it alone. And, um, I, I you know, if something too. happens and Finley has to come in, I mean, look at the 49ers. They had Garoppolo. Garoppolo yep. got hurt. They won like five games without Garoppolo. And then they got another high draft pick and went to the Super Bowl. So you know. <laughs> they, they stocked up on that D line. You're right. I honestly, I didn't even mention that. Honestly, Matt, if, you know, we know the Bengals, how they operate in free agency. We'll talk about this. Hopefully they do change their stripes a little bit and get more aggressive in terms of targeting some specific free agents, not necessarily the top guys at the positions, but good veteran players coming off rookie deals um, to to really help the team. And the way to to take most advantage of that is to really keep the cap hit in the QB room small. And so I'd be fine. I mean, like I said, one of those veterans who'd be, you know, at a very, very modest cost, that'd be great. But to your point, I'd be totally fine rolling with with Ryan Finley. I mean, Finley didn't show much in the three starts he had last year. He actually showed, you know, pretty poorly, obviously. You know more from an X's and O's perspective. He didn't really show great. But again, I come back to the point, ideally, Joe Burrow is going to take every snap next year. And so yeah. I'm, I'm fine with with Ryan Finley. And, and ostensibly, Ryan Finley hopefully improves. Maybe he improves a little bit. He'll have a whole offseason to be in the system and to work with OTAs and everything. So do I think maybe if he has to make an emergency spot start or fill in, if Burrow is out for a quarter or a half due to an injury, you know, maybe they, they lean on Joe Mixon or something a little bit more during that time. But um, I, I, I'd be totally fine with, with that line of thinking as well, just rolling with Burrow and Finley. And then maybe even Dolagala too. Dolagala had some upside as well that we saw in the preseason. Yeah, absolutely. They got some young talent in that room. And, and I think, you know, just, just one thing I wanted to touch on briefly. So um, just to, to catch up, and th- my understanding is uh, the last time they took a quarterback number one overall, um, you know, back in, you know, back at, at that time, 2003, uh, the, the number one draft pick uh, that usually you announced it a few weeks ahead of time. Uh, and you were able to sign, you know, like maybe you weren't able to sign, but you were able to negotiate and basically have a contract in place with the person before the draft. Yeah. Um, now, and it's adjustments in the CBA and having the rookie, rookie salary cap. Uh, that's that's what's changed that. And that's why we see less holdouts out of rookies currently. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. All the money is really slotted. Now, what what's negotiated is like the timing of like a signing bonus payment, language of like forfeiture of guarantees. So that stuff can yeah. be 
um, negotiated. But the the money yeah, like, is the thing with Roquan Smith, Smith uh, a, a year or so ago was you know, it, it was uh, if he missed games due to like targeting calls and stuff that you know they're trying to work out some of the, some you know some of where the money was coming off. Uh, That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. There's even language, for example, if you remember, I believe it was like, who was it? It was Leonard Fournette and Shaq Lawson. So it must have been the Jags and Buffalo Bills where they got into a brawl. It was after a play and the, the fight ended up spilling into the sidelines and they each got suspended for one game. And so depending on what the teams want to put in your contract, that team suspension, and I think I think the suspension wasn't even levied by the NFL. I may be wrong on that. It may have just been levied on the teams. But regardless, the players were suspended. And based on the language of those contracts, that could void the guarantees in the contract based on that suspension. So that's what they really haggle over now, the timing of the payments, uh, any offsets too if the player totally bombs and they get cut and sign elsewhere. The teams want to offset the money they sign elsewhere. But you're right. The the rookie weight sale has pretty much eliminated any of the rookie holdouts. Joe Burrow is not going to hold out. Um, but you mentioned earlier, you're right. In the prior CBAs, you could – negotiate and even sign, to your point, announce the draft pick and, and announce that they've agreed to terms. I think the Bengals did that with Carson Palmer prior to the 03 draft. The Bengals, there's no prohibition in the CBA that says the team can't do that now with the number one pick. In fact, the team, the Bengals are literally on the clock. The draft doesn't start until the 23rd of April, but the Bengals, they can negotiate with Joe Burrow now. The, the mm. money's already set. Like I said, the, the $25 million signing bonus is there. How much he'll make in base salary in 2020 is there. The money is already set. But they can negotiate about those other language issues of the contract. But, yeah, they can announce right now if they wanted to uh, that, that he's going to be the pick. But even though they haven't, I mean, th- this is this is a foregone conclusion. The, the Bengals are they're, – they're not – there's no way they can mess this up. Joe Burrow is going to be a Cincinnati Bengal. And they can make – to your point, they're going to – they can make that announcement if they want to. They can make it tonight. They can make it tomorrow or at any time prior to the draft. So let's talk about what's going to be around Burrow. Um, yeah. you know, I think – one of the big selling points of this job that I'm sure Zach Taylor was extremely excited about was AJ Green. Obviously, we didn't, uh, you know, we saw about five seconds uh, in the first practice out of him. Um, <laughs> so injury aside, because uh, because again, we talk about the things we know, and you and I aren't doctors. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what what is it likely that AJ is going to be looking for? Uh, in terms of a contract uh, to, to bring him back? And, 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 you know, what would the, the Bengals be looking uh, to do, you know, uh, with a guy like that who, who does have an injury risk? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the AJ, um, how this plays out is going to be really telling for the Bengals uh, and, you know, really for the, the organization in, at, at large. Um, the high watermark for just in terms of average annual salary for receivers is Julio Jones for the Falcons. He's at 22 million a year. I don't see how AJ can ask for that. I mean, if he, he can ask for it, of course, but I mean, just based on the injuries that AJ has had through again, through no fault of his own, obviously the terrible turf up in Dayton, uh, no fault of AJ greens, but the fact remains he got injured. It's nobody's fault. Really. You can maybe blame the turf obviously, but I just think those injuries and the injuries suffered the year prior during the New Orleans game, which knocked him out the rest of the season, his injury during, I think, the 2016 season. Um, you know, I, I don't think I, I hate the term injury prone. I don't know what that necessarily means. Like you mentioned, we're not doctors. I mean, some people get more banged up than others. But, you know, these are, you know, he's landing awkward. He's got some foot issues. These aren't I, I, I wouldn't determine it's like, you know, running down the field. He's pulling a hammy every other week. Um, but that being said, because of that injury history, I don't think 
he can get away. I, I don't think, you know, he can ask for as much as Julio. They came in, obviously, two picks apart in the 2011 draft. Their careers have mirrored each other. They signed extensions when they signed their first ones back in 2015, but I don't think AJ can get $22 million. Um, that Julio's getting. Uh, the next one is is Odell Beckham, who's at 18 with the Browns. You know, I think AJ, you know, can can get that amount if he wanted to. I think he certainly can get that on the open market. Obviously, we know that once multiple teams are bidding on you, the price just goes up. Uh-huh. And so, and and, and it would have it wouldn't totally shock me if he got up to Julio, but it, just because of how crazy free agency is. But I think. If you look at it as a percentage of the cap, you know, AJ's last extension was 60 million over four. So it's 15 million a year. But at that time, the cap was around 143 million. So 15 million, uh, a $50 million cap hit at a $143 million salary cap in 2015, that represented 10 point, that was 10.4% of the cap. And so we mentioned at the, the very beginning here that the Bengals adjusted cap, the, the adjusted cap is 210 million, right? The 200 million that it's it's projected to be plus the 10.8 million rollover. So if you say that AJ Green makes 20 million a year, 20 million divided by 210, that's nine and a half percent of the cap. Yeah. That's almost a percentage point less than what his percentage of the cap was in 2015. Now in 2015, AJ was clearly in the prime of his career. He had no injury history. He was at an all pro level. I don't think that AJ. Um, I, I think he can he can get back to an all pro level. I really do, um, but obviously he's older and the injuries have taken a little bit of a toll. You'd have to be naive to think that they haven't. But he's a fierce competitor by all accounts. He's in great shape, um, and so honestly, if it were me, because the money has to be spent somewhere, and we all know how how reluctant they are to spend this on open market players, players that they're not familiar with. I honestly can see the Bengals being comfortable doing a deal with him at around twenty million a year. Now, the important part will be the guaranteed money, which will likely be in the form yeah. of a big signing bonus. But, you know, I think a three-year, $60 million deal, just to keep the numbers simple, that's $20 million a year that takes him through the 2022 season, that puts AJ, I believe, through his age 34 season. Obviously, that's getting up there with, with age and wide receiver. But, again, it's 2020. These athletes condition their bodies in a way that athletes haven't ever. And with with modern medicine, I, you know these guys can keep playing at a high level, and I think AJ can get back uh, to an a, an elite All Pro level, maybe even like a Pro Bowl level, certainly. And mm-hmm. I think because of the continuing nature of the way the cap is rising, I think I'd be comfortable with a twenty million dollar deal, a twenty million dollar a year deal, so like three years, sixty million. Again, if you take it as a percentage of the cap, it's actually less as a percentage of the cap than what his last contract was. Uh, or when he signed that extension back in 2015. Now, I certainly can see both sides of the argument. Is it worth that money to invest in a wide receiver? Is it better to allocate that elsewhere? Or, you know, this is a receiver deep draft, as you well know. Could you potentially wait and get one? You can. Yes, you can. You can do all that. But I do think just viewing it how how Mike Brown probably views it, A.J. Green has, is, is, is you know, Joe Burrow's not on the roster yet and he hasn't played in the NFL, but... AJ Green right now projects to be the only current Bengal that has a, a legitimate chance at the Hall of Fame. I mean, you could maybe put Geno Atkins in there, um, but AJ Green, of course, the injuries have kind of taken him off that track a little bit. But I think 
you know, Mike Brown wants to keep him around. He's, I don't know if he's the face of the franchise necessarily, but he's, he's a player that's recognized throughout the league, right? Name recognition. And I know these are factors that are extraneous to what's best for the football team. I'm just trying to think how the Bengals would justify paying that money to him. And I honestly don't have an issue with it because I think AJ can bring value there. And people far too often get hung up on what the average salary is, but they take it out of context or they don't look at it in the full context of what's the cap going to be. And really what's the cap going to be in years down the line, right? We don't know. It's been going up about $10 million a year for the last five or six years. If that trend continues, then that deal is going to be even better. Now, of course, the risk is AJ is getting older, but that's why I think a three-year deal would, would work best for both sides. But honestly, having said all that, I don't, I just don't know if the Bengals would commit that. And, and I, I think AJ may want to test what his value is on the open market, but I don't think the Bengals will let him get there. So I think they'd likely tag him if they can't reach a deal here um, before free agency starts. And the tag is likely to be around just under 18.5, according to over the, over the cap. The curious part about the CBA, though, this year, since it's the last year before the expiration of the current CBA the team is allowed, every team is allowed to use both the franchise tag and the transition tag. Um, the transition tag is a little lower and there's no draft pick compensation like the non-exclusive franchise tag um, would, would result if AJ signed anywhere elsewhere. But the transition tag, it's much lower. It's about just under 16 million, so a couple million lower. But it allows then AJ to go to the open market and get an offer or several offers and the Bengals would have five days then to match that offer. Dollar for dollar, word for word, there can't be any poison pill. And if they don't match it, then AJ goes to that team with oh. no co- with no compensation coming back. So if the Bengals kind of really wanted to, to like squeeze AJ and really wanted to say, hey, you know, play hardball with him and say, hey, you're not even worth the franchise tag, but we're allowed to do the transition tag this year. Let's transition tag you and save a couple million. I I don't think they'll go this route because I think the risk is too high. But they could, just to put it out there, I think a lot of people don't know that. The transition tag, again, would be about 15.9 or 16 million. Yeah. But Alex- well, well, then, then the risk is that, uh, you know, the the Patriots offer him, uh, you know, 19, and then you're matching a number that's over the franchise number. <laughs> you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. They can absolutely do that. Uh, and that's why I think if they can't come to an agreement, the franchise tag, not, they'll put him with a non-exclusive franchise tag, which allows him to go on the market and, 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 and see what other offers are. But that team that would sign him would have to give a first and third round pick to the Bengals. And that's not happening. Um, that, that just is not happening in terms of signing him and then trading it for those first round picks. But they could tag and then work out a, a trade, potentially maybe for a second round pick, similar to what the Chiefs did last year with like D Ford. It was a, obviously a different position, but they tagged him and then traded him to Seattle for a second-round pick. Now, uh, now, what are the cap implications of that? If if you franchise somebody and then yep. trade them, are are you are, Great are you still taking a cap hit on them like any other player you traded? Great question. So the franchise tag is just a tender amount. It's not even a tr- true contract, so to speak. It just but so it's eighteen point nine or eighteen point five million. That that once you tag the player, that immediately accounts against the team's cap. But since it's not a contract and you just trade the player, that goes away. That goes away with the trade. So there's no so, dead money. There's there's nothing. It would just that that money would be cleared from the Bengals books if they. So tra- so uh, in order to be traded though, AJ would have to sign something basically accepting the franchise tag. Correct. But he would have. That's to, not actually a contract. Is that is that how is that yeah, correct? It's tender. Yeah. That yeah. From a okay. tender. That's correct. He would have to be tagged and sign that tender and then be traded. 
Okay. Because yeah, I remember a lot talking about that with the with Le'Veon Bell. So that's exactly right. So Le'Veon never even signed those tenders. So he that's why they couldn't trade him for those first couple of years. So AJ, huh. they can tag him, he can sign, and then then they can work out a trade. And if they trade him, they'll obviously get some draft capital back, potentially even a player, maybe. But likely draft capital, draft compensation if they go this route. And then that money, that $18.5 million of the tag, comes off the Bengals' books. But if a team's going to trade for him, they're not going to trade for him unless they have a handshake deal with AJ's agent knowing that there is an extension coming, much like the D4 situation. Or much like pretty pretty much any player throughout history that's been tagged and then traded, the team that's traded for them then signs that player to an extension. Okay. But what's not going to happen, if they tag him— you know, no team is going to want to sign him under that tag, meaning because then they're having to give a Bengal, the Bengals a first and a third pick. And I think teams mm-hmm. would think, hey, if we can get AJ, we can likely get him for less than a first and a third. Maybe even the 49ers say, hey, I'll trade you our first round pick, which is pick 31 for AJ Green. I mean, they need some receivers. Debo Samuel did great as a rookie, but Manuel mm-hmm. Sanders is free agent. So maybe that could they could tag him. San Francisco comes knocking and say, hey, we'll offer you our pick 31. I think the Bengals would maybe think about that deal. Then you'd have picks 31 and 33 in addition to Joe Burrow, potentially. But ultimately, I do think A.J. sticks around. I think a tag is there, and then I think before the July 15th deadline to sign an extension with the team that tags you, I think they ultimately get to a deal because I think it's in the interest of Joe Burrow, you mentioned putting talent around him, and the Bengals franchise. This A.J. really is a generational player. And obviously, Anthony Munoz is our only Hall of Famer. Ken Anderson has a legitimate case as well as some others, but... You know, AJ, if he gets back on that track, because he's an offensive player, Mike Brown generally likes those offensive guys, and just the league, the way it sways towards Hall of Fame considerations way down the line, you know, I think the Bengals kind of view that for AJ, and so I don't think they want to lose him. And so they'll definitely tag him if they can't reach a deal, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if they sign him to about a three-year, $60 million deal, something in that range. But we'll see. So... uh on, you know, on that note, another pass catcher coming up uh, into free agency that just uh, had signed to a one-year deal previously was Eifert. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with what him uh, managing to stay healthy, even though he wasn't, you know, terribly productive this year, uh, are we expecting him to get uh, some some big offers coming uh, coming into the open market? Uh, I'd be surprised. I mean, big offers. I usually think of like multi-year deals with substantial guarantees. Tyler's going to be, he's 29, I believe. I think he's going to turn 30 right around the start of the season. Uh, You know, good player. The the, the Bengals, I I noticed the practice reports this year. They kept him out. They had an NIR, non-injury related veterans rest. I liked Coach Taylor's approach with him during the week, just keeping him out of practice. I think that, I don't know if this can be proven, but I think maybe that aided a little bit in, in, in having Tyler active all 16 games, which was great. But honestly, his market, Hunter Henry's a free agent. Austin Hooper, those guys may get tagged, so they may not hit the open market. I think Tyler Eifert will get interest, no doubt, uh, possibly from a team like the Patriots, but I don't think he's going to shatter the market. I mean, he's 30. Can you really rely on his, again, through no fault of his own? I I, I love Tyler Eifert. He's a warrior. He's come back. I mean, that gruesome injury he suffered in Atlanta where his, his ankle was you know, exposed for everybody to see, unfortunately. But, I mean, the guy came back from that. A lot of guys could have been like, I'm, I'm done. You know, Tyler, he, he's got other ha- interest outside of football. He could have been like, I'm done. But kudos to him for coming back and sticking with it and playing all 16 games. So I do think a market will develop for him. You know, he's still a red zone threat. He's still a good option on third downs. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a robust market in terms of, oh, wow, that's the contract Tyler Eifert signed. I mean, I hope for him that it, it does materialize that way. But 
I honestly see Tyler Eifert signing another one-year deal, whether that's in Cincinnati or elsewhere. I think a team's going to be like, hey, we really like you, but you kind of need to prove to us um, that you know we can rely on you uh, for, for more than a year. And so this year, I think he signed for around $5 million with some escalators, too. I think next year his base salary is going to go up a little bit, maybe around like the $8 million range, maybe even pushing ten. Uh, obviously, he's going to have a very incentive-laden contract. But I wouldn't put it past the Bengals to to sign him. I think Tyler really likes being here. He by all you know, he was sad when Whitworth left. Whitworth was his best friend, one of his best friends. I think he lived in Whitworth's house his rookie year. But you know, even when Whitworth was gone, Eifert had the option to to sign elsewhere. The last you know last year, obviously wasn't likely because of his injury, but you know he could have. So I really think like a one year eight million dollar deal is something Tyler is going to get. Maybe like two year pushing twenty with that non guaranteed second year. Um, do I think it's with the Bengals? I think the Bengals would like to have him back, but on their terms, like another similar deal. I think the Bengals would do the same contract they did last year. Uh, but Tyler's not going to go for that. He's going to want to see what his options are in the open market. And if they're not what he likes, then maybe he comes back on that type of deal, like one year, five million with the chance to earn a couple more through incentives. Um, but honestly, I think we've probably seen the last of Tyler Eifert, uh, in a Bengals uniform. I really think the Patriots will make a run for him. Um, the Dolphins, they have Mike Gesicki down there, but I think with their rookie quarterback, regardless of Tua plays, they have a ton of cap room. They need to spend it. Um, you know, they may throw a, a good deal of one year cash towards him, but, uh, we'll see, you know, I, I wouldn't, I put it at about 35, 65% chance of him returning to the Bengals, 35%, but it's likely that he'll sign elsewhere, but I wouldn't be surprised that he signs a one year deal somewhere else. So. You know, those guys are out there right now. We've got to make a decision. Uh, but another decision coming up. Uh, so Ross is John Ross is going into the fourth year uh, of his uh, of his career. Uh, but they'll have to make a decision uh, about his fifth year option this offseason. So, uh, you know, how does that break down? You know, what exactly does a fifth uh, fifth year option look like? Uh, how, how big of a raise is that for, for yep. Ross? Yeah, it's a great question. So they have to make that determination. So, right, he's already under contract this year. They have to make the determination for his fifth-year option by before May 3rd coming up. So we'll know a little bit after the draft. They can make it, of course, at any time, but May 3rd is the deadline. The, the fifth-year option, since he was drafted in the top 10 of his draft class, he was the ninth pick, the fifth-year option is essentially the transition tag for the, the position he plays, which is wide receiver for this year. So the transition tag, I mentioned it briefly with a small chance that the Bengals use it for A.J. Green. The transition tag is just under $16 million. So it's 15.9. So that's John Ross's fifth-year option. So that would be $15.9 million for next year, for 2021. So if they exercise his option, that option is guaranteed, but it's guaranteed for injury only. So if John Ross is injured at the end of next year when the when when his salary comes due uh, and the Bengals cut him, he would get all that money. Uh, it's guaranteed for for everything, fully guaranteed on the first day of the next league year. So the Bengals have until the beginning of May this year to exercise that option. <clears throat> if they don't, then he becomes a free agent after this year because he's under contract. But if they do, it's a $16.5 million amount that's guaranteed for injury only for 2021, but then becomes fully guaranteed essentially a year from now on the first league on the first uh, day of the 2021 league year, which will be sometime in mid-March 2021, where it'd be fully guaranteed. Now, we talked about AJ, right? AJ gets extended. You got Tyler Boyd, who's on, you know, 
uh, who's making eight figures or has eight figure cap charges. I love Ross's potential. I really think that Joe Burrow can and him can really do do a lot of work together, so to speak. But are the Bengals willing to commit sixteen point five million? I don't know. I I really don't know that. Now that this doesn't mean that the Bengals aren't interested in in a long term solution with John Ross. But I think that's sixteen point five million, even though it's only guaranteed for injury only when you exercise the option. That's a steep price. I mean that that's a big price tag for John Ross, who by all accounts, he's under. Let's just be honest, he's underperformed. He's been I'm not going to say bust, obviously, but he hasn't been. He hasn't contributed to the level that a top nine pick is expected to contribute. And well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing that you talk about with Eifert that you just you can't depend on him to be there every week. Uh, and you know, if, if it's a twice the salary basically of, of yep. what, what you might be able to get Eifert for. So, you know, maybe That's it's worth exactly. having Eifert around for, for under 10 million, uh, to keep him on a snap count and have him around for the games you need him. But when we're talking about 16 million for that guy, um, you know, you're going to have 12 games a year. Maybe you're, you're hoping, um, yeah, maybe, maybe you can't do that. I mean, I, I look to. I thought the Patriots did a great job a few years ago with Danny Amendola, mm-hmm. uh, who had injury a lot of injury issues in the NFL. And during the regular season, you watch Patriots games, and you wouldn't really see him. Uh, and then all of a sudden, in, like in November, he started to show up. And then in the playoffs, he was there and he was healthy. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I really, I feel like some of these guys, they can't play sixteen games. They certainly can't play twenty if they're making a big, a deep playoff run, um, and and maybe you got to save them a little bit. Um, but what kind of, you know, what kind of salary are you willing to pay when you're uh, only getting a fraction of the games? That's right. I mean, sixteen point five million—that's a million dollars a game, more than a million dollars a game. So that's right. you know they they get paid by the game game check. I mean, the, the, it's seventeen weeks as you include the bye week, but so it's almost a million dollar you know pre tax and in, in salary there. And, you know, John Ross started this season great. The two-touchdown performance against Seattle was great. He had the garbage-time touchdown in San Francisco, but it showcased his speed. Obviously, he ran away from mm-hmm. the defense. And then the, the Pittsburgh game comes around, and he's got that – that it ended up being a very serious injury, but that that clavicle injury, that sternoclavicular injury up there. And, it, you know, he got tackled – I remember the play. He got tackled pretty violently to the ground. He went out, and, and then he's on IR. He's on short-term IR. And it's just – you know, he's not trying to get hurt, but I, I don't know if what John Ross has shown and his – his let's you know his injury woes and being in the in Marvin's doghouse year one kind of put him behind the eight ball. I think it shot his confidence as he's admitted. Um, I don't know if you can justify sixteen point five million um, for him. I just it's hard to swallow. Now potentially if he had a great season this year, it, you can say okay that's fine. But the decision has to be made in May. It has to be made before mm-hmm. even training camp. Obviously to see what this what to justify that money. Um, but that being said. John Ross is actually eligible to sign an extension. I mean, it's his, he's played three years now, so that three-year bar from extending rookies is gone, and he he can sign an extension. So the Bengals, <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised if they try to approach him via negotiation, say, hey, let's do a short-term deal, short-term extension at a more favorable rate, right? So he kind of gets that money, but I don't know if his camp, he's a he's a first-round pick, top 10 pick. I don't know if his camp is going to want to do that, right? He's going to want to say, okay, if you don't yeah. – do the fifth year option. I'm just going to go on the market and see what I have. And he may very well go on the market if they don't even extend the fifth year option or exercise the fifth year option. And the Bengals could, you know, say, Hey, go out on the market, see what you get and come back to us and then resign them there. So I'm not saying 
just because they don't exercise the option doesn't mean that John Ross's future is not in Cincinnati beyond 2020. And yeah, I so guess the, I, only, the only advantage for him would be like if he did, uh, you know, do an extension now. So so he could be off that rookie contract next year if they send him to extension. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, you know, let's say they gave him uh, three years, uh, thirty million. Yeah. Now, now he's fair. now he's at ten million a year instead of sixteen, uh, but he's getting it faster. Yep. And really, if he if if he thinks he's going to make, you know, sixteen, you know, fifteen, sixteen, uh, it, you know, with, with his fifth year extension, and then the next year after that somewhere, um, right. you know, it's the same amount of money basically, like right. you know, minus what he's making on his rookie deal, which, as we discussed earlier, is is peanuts. Yep. Um, I mean, you get paid a little bit faster that way, and at least it makes it an annual deal that isn't. As bad for the bank, like I talked about with Eifert, it's like, well, if it's like ten million for that guy, yeah, maybe you can justify that for as dynamic as really both of these guys are are huge playmakers oh, uh, when, they're, un- when they're healthy, undeniably. Yep. Yeah, I like your three-year thirty million. Just I don't know how you picked that number, but that comes in just under Boyd. I don't think you know the locker room guys talk about how much money they make. They know it. It's publicly available too. So you come in and you give Ross, a, you know, more money than Tyler Boyd. I mean, Boyd was a second-round pick, but. Sure. This three-year 30 comes, that slots in under Boyd. So I think, yeah. to your point, you'd be like, hey, John, we want you around here. How about this consideration? I don't think John and his camp does do that because they say, hey, it just wasn't a fit in Cincinnati. He's not even getting that many balls with AJ and Boyd there. Let's They didn't exercise the option. Thanks, everybody. Let's just go our separate ways. Sure. But something like that can be presented to him, and it, it can be you know something that they can maybe massage the numbers and come up to a workable agreement that, that both sides are happy with, certainly. Um, because I do think it... When the fifth-year option was instituted uh, in with the with this current CBA, the Bengals have exercised it for every first-round pick except Cedric Obwehi. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think John Ross is in – he's not. He's not in that Obwehi total bust category, right? Obwehi was obvious. No. He couldn't play. You know, he just – he just he was overwhelmed and overmatched both at right tackle and certainly at left tackle. Just is not an NFL-caliber tackle. John Ross is an NFL player. Right. I mean, Abway now is a backup in Jacksonville, I think, but that's who he is. John Ross is a starting caliber, potentially even elite wide receiver if everything is clicking right and he's healthy, like you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not like an Abway thing. So if they don't exercise his option, that's going to be the headline, right? That's going to be the clickbait. You know, first uh, only players, it's Abway, you know, or Abway and Ross, only Bengals players to not have their fifth year option exercised. The point of me saying this is when the Bengals didn't exercise Sed's option, they knew that that was the end of the road, right? Sed would ride out that year four and then sayonara, and then he did, and he left. With Ross, if they don't exercise it, if he still has a monster year, at the end they could still franchise him, obviously, which I don't think, but they could still then even attempt to sign him too, you know? So it's not the end of the road if, if in a couple months it comes out that the Bengals have not exercised his option. And honestly, just to put a percentage, I put it at 50-50, whether or not they exercise it. So... Uh, because of the, for the reasons we mentioned, it's it's a large number, and you know we really don't know what we're getting with him. So we're we're talking about extensions right now, and uh, the very next uh, Bengals draft pick after Ross, uh, who you know I th- it seems likely they'll be looking at doing an extension for possibly this offseason, is is Joe Mixon. Uh, now this is a very controversial move. Um, because, you know, uh, extensions uh, and really 
you know, a second contract for a running back, uh, you know, the value of that and, and how quickly that pitch position can degenerate versus how readily available cheap uh, replacements are. Um, it's, you know, it, it's definitely a point of, of, of conflict. Uh, you know, what do you think a Joe Mixon extension uh, would look like? Uh, that's a good question. But, you know, if it were up to me, if I were running the Bengals and this was nothing against Joe Mixon, I like him. I love what he brings to the team. I love his ability. I love his passion that he plays with and his leadership ability. But I'm just, as a general rule, I'm just against extending contracts. I think for, for veteran running backs, I think it's the most fungible position in the NFL. I think it's, you know, it's more, you know, this coach Matt, you can, you can scheme up running plays with, with zone schemes and it's very dependent on the O line um, it, not not to take anything away from Mixon, but to your overall point that you made is the value there. It's a value proposition. Is extending Mixon worth it? And you look no further than the Super Bowl a couple days ago. Look at Damian Williams, an undrafted player. Look at Raheem Mostert, an undrafted player. Those guys were balling out all all postseason. Yeah. And you look I at mean, San Francisco. I mean, when, the Niners, when the Niners played the Bengals, uh, you know Jeff Wilson was going off. I never even heard of that guy. I gotta, I, <laughs> That's right. I, 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 I thought know, they were talking about Jackie Wilson at first. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I mean you, you've got the scheme and you got the O line. And you know. look, look at the 49ers and Mostert. They even signed Tevin Coleman. Now Coleman signed a modest deals. I think you know much less than what people anticipated. He was a free agent running back. He's likely going to be cut this year. But I think he signed for about two years, ten or twelve million, so like five or six APY. But he's on the out. He's going to be looking for a job next year because that's a veteran running back whose five million or six million dollar cap hit is not commensurate with the value that he's bringing through no fault of his own it's just you've got an undrafted guy in Mostert who's tearing it up or Matt Breda who, who was injured so but anyway so regardless of my personal inclination I do think though the way the Bengals operate and their and their propensity to, to want to spend money on their homegrown players rather than go outside and sign external free agents I do think much to my personal chagrin and just the way at my in my own head of the way of constructing NFL rosters with the, in, within the confines of the cap, I think an extension does get done. And so I think what we're looking at is probably like around, I don't think we're looking at Zeke Elliott money, which was I think 90 million um, and a very high APY. I think we're probably looking at like a, like almost a Tyler Boyd type deal. Right, forty years or forty years, four, <laughs> 40, 40, the Bengals, forty-year deal. Now, uh, a forty million dollar deal over four years, so like ten million per. And I think that's something that could be palatable to the Bengals. They can justify it as saying, you know, he's he's our workhorse back. He has receiving ability. He's a three-down player. Um, he wants to be here. He's done all the right things apparently since that horrible incident in, in college when he when he slugged that poor girl. But all, by all accounts, he's he's living a fine life and he's doing everything the right way. And again, I like Joe Mixon. I like when watching him play. I like his skill set. This is not an indictment against him. It's a it's just a, a, an observation. Uh, it's just a valuation of the position of, mm-hmm. of, of of running back. And so, while I wouldn't do it, I would totally shy away from it. I can totally see a four year, forty million dollar deal. And the way the Bengals do their contracts, I don't think there'd be a lot of guaranteed money in there. And I don't think Joe Mixon is, and his and his uh, representatives would really care because they would just tout it as, oh, we got a running back paid $10 million a year. I don't think the Bengals are are comfortable going over that threshold. I think that's just the threshold that I just have in my mind, the $10 million a year. Uh, and I think they justify it for the reason stated. You know, he's a workhorse back. He's going to be helpful to Joe Burrow, which I don't doubt. He certainly will. 
Yeah. But um, but the Bengals are going to need to build the team and the offense around Joe Burrow, not 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 Joe Mixon. I mean, you build it around the franchise quarterback, not 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 the running back. And so well, that's why I would shy away from giving him that money. But I do think they do extend him, and I I could see anywhere between you know four years, forty million, four years, forty two million. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting too because I I think when Bernard got extended, that really confused a lot of people. Um, so confusing. So now confusing. where we're at now, you know, where we're out now with it, um, you know, I mean, it was a little odd they, they didn't use very much of uh, Giovanni Bernard last year, but Bernard's yeah. the guy that you really need for the for the rookie quarterback uh, because let's pick he's up an incredible pass blocker. Yep. Um, yep. So you've got that guy that you know, whereas as Mixon was not in uh, when they got into two minute situations. Uh, right. and, and, it, and it wasn't about him catching the ball. It, it was about they wanted Bernard in there for pass protection. So, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting because you think, well, they extended Bernard. They'll probably extend Mixon, too. But I don't I don't think it's apples to apples with that because they're they're very different players. Uh, Good point. It's really I, interesting that they, they drafted. Obviously, he's gone now because he had his own issues. But they drafted Mark Walton a couple years ago. And then they drafted two running backs last year. Um, you know, yep. with, with, with Ad, uh, Anderson, who's kind of a mixing kind of guy, uh, and, and Trevion Williams, who's kind of a geo type of guy, uh, you know, little, uh, you know, small, smaller guy, a bigger mm-hmm. than geo, but smaller guy, uh, yeah. and, and, uh, very good catching the ball, you know, good running the ball. And, and, uh, I thought he was very impressive in, in, uh, pass protection in college as well. You know, my opinion, uh, you know, last year he was like the one running back looking at him in pass protection. Where it was like, wow, this guy's incredible at this. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because they've they've done a lot of different things at that position, and I could I could see them extending him, but then you see all that, and it's like, I don't know, maybe maybe they're gonna roll with those three in in the in yeah. the you know. I'd be fine with that. I, mean, I, I was a little like the, the the extension for Geo and then his subsequent non usage. I'll say absent the 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 passing situations because he is a good you know he's in there recognizing the blitz you know pickups recognizing what the, where the rush is coming from and, and also being not just recognizing it but, but being an effective blocker at it. Yes. So he's good in that regard. But his usage though was just awful. I mean for yeah. the value for the for his cap hit. The extension just made no sense. And then how they used him or really didn't use him was even more of a head scratcher. And mm-hmm. then you mentioned they drafted Travion Williams in the sixth round and then Rodney Anderson. Anderson, of course, tore his ACL, unfortunately. But they didn't even use Travion Williams. I mean, he was yeah. a game being active for several games. He was mm-hmm. he dressed as part of the 46 on multiple times, but he, I don't think he ever played on offense. No. And it yeah. just was so frustrating and confusing to say, don't you want to just give the guy a couple carries, a couple, you know, design screens, uh, you know, wheel route here or there that you try to target him on just to see what he has on the pro level. But I, I'm excited to see what Travion Williams does. And remember, Joe Mixon is under contract this year. For up to me, I would, God bless you, Joe, I would just run you into the ground and then go on the open market, see what you get, more power to you. And if the Bengals want to play the comp game next year, if some team's willing to offer Joe a lot of money, sure, that's fine. But I would, like you said, they've, they've spent a lot of assets, a lot of draft capital you know, they had Gio as second rounder. Joe Mixon, it, Gio was a second rounder. The next year, in the in, in the very next draft in the second round, they just selected Jeremy Hill, and then <laughs> and they let him walk. Yeah. Obviously, obviously the right call. But then three <laughs> years after Hill, they turn around and draft Joe Mixon, and then they draft Rodney Anderson and Travion Williams. And it's like you're using this draft capital. Keep doing that. There's no need to extend Joe Mixon, no matter how good he is. And I like him, as I said before. Sure. Um, 
I, I would shy away from that. I would see what you have in Travion. I would see what you have in Rodney Anderson if he comes back. I know he's now had two ACLs and a, and a big serious injury elsewhere, but it doesn't also preclude them from drafting a guy late this year or signing a couple free agents like the 49ers have, uh, undrafted free agents. Because, again, they're a dime a dozen, and these guys can come in and contribute. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we, we kind of got into all the guys that touched the ball. Uh, you know, on the offensive line, there are two guys who are uh, questionable futures, uh, who, have, who have a questionable, questionable future in Cincinnati. Uh, and th- th- there's a one that's a real question mark is Cordy Glenn. Uh, you know, not sure what was going on with him. Not sure how people feel about him in the locker room. There seems to be some bad blood there that he's a potential trade or cut. Um, and the other one is Bobby Hart, who I 100% believe will be on this team next year. And 95% believe will be starting at right tackle, uh, not that that's what I would do, but I believe he will be starting at right tackle for this team. Um, but just to just to humor uh, us all and and uh, the many people that that talk about cutting Bobby Hart, uh, you know what would cutting trading Glenn uh, and uh, you know or uh, cutting Bobby Hart, you know what what type of uh, capped impact would those moves have? Yeah, so uh, cutting or trading Glenn would clear nine point five million from the Bengals cap. So that'd be a 9.5 clear. It'd be, there'd be no dead money. Oh, wow. uh, it'd, be, it'd be, yep. So it'd be 9.5 straight off the books, just like Dalton's 17.7 million with no dead money coming back to hit the Bengals cap. So, um, yeah, the Cordy Glenn thing last year was so puzzling. I was, I loved Cordy Glenn coming out of Georgia in 2012. I liked his positional versatility. He played guard and tackle. I loved his length coming out. He's a big guy, but he's still pretty nimble. I do think last year in 2018, when we first acquired him, he, he looked a bit, a little bit overweight at times and kind of struggled. But, and then this year, just with, with the concussion and then, you know, the, the purported shouting match with a coach. And then all of a sudden he's back starting, <laughs> you know, he started the last, I think five games before Fred Johnson started the, the finale or the last two games and played well. I like Fred Johnson, but you know, I, I think Cordy, just considering the dearth of offensive tackles in the league, I would have no problem keeping Cordy around. Assuming he's not a locker room issue at all and, and there's no issue there with teammates or coaches or anyone else in the building, you know, keeping him around for nine and a half million, the guy's only 30 years old. He's a capable tackle, as you know. I mean, even mm-hmm. at his best, he's an all, he's not all pro, but he's a borderline pro bowl tackle. Um, and and the, that, the plan originally with him, too, was to put him at guard and have – Came yep. next to Jonah, uh, yep. which you know, like Jonah's really going to be a rookie next year, so you know that that that'll yep. still be a possibility. And um, so you know, one way or another, uh, he's going to be, I would think, amongst the best five. So it, it would it would definitely yeah. be nice to have him. But uh, yeah, it would. And, and and I don't know what his willingness would be. I mean, of course, he said Coach Turner said last year that Cordy before the whole fiasco during the OTAs, he was like, "Oh, Cordy's handling this like a pro." So by all accounts, like. Around this time a year ago, or coming up around OTA time, it was oh, Cordy kind of was taking this in stride. Or after, after of course they drafted Jonah, so it would have been after the draft. But he's kind of taking this in stride. He's going to kick inside. I don't know if that was a cause of the issue, and uh, on top of the concussion issue, whatever, whatever that was, um, you know, whatever the issues were. So, but but because you know tackles and not even tackles, good offensive linemen, as you know, they don't grow on trees. Especially yeah. the way the college game has evolved, it's it's harder to identify. 
uh, pro-level offensive lineman. And so when you have one, even though all these other ancillary issues are going on, and you have one at a cap hit of less than $10 million for a near 10-year vet who's played at a high level, mm-hmm. it's hard to justify getting rid of him. But having said that, I do think – I'm not in favor of just cutting Cordy Glenn. I think he has trade value. Now, of course, all these teams around the league will know – they'll have more intimate knowledge, I would think, because word gets around these teams about what the real issues were last year. So mm-hmm. his trade value, value may be shot from whatever those issues were. But just for, if you look at it from his play level, yeah, he's had a little bit of injury issues these past couple of years. But in Buffalo, he was – you know, absent one year, I think, you know, he, he was a pretty consistent starter. He was playing all games and most of the snaps in all games. Mm-hmm. And so I think that can bring back trade value. Now, he's only have he only has one year deal, one year on his deal left. So that would reduce some of the, the trade return. But the cap hit is so reasonable for nine million dollars. You trade him to a team like the New York Jets, who have horrible tackles and are probably going to draft one with the pick with their first round pick still. But why don't you call the Jets and be like, hey, you want to give us your fourth round pick? Or aim for a third, ask them for their third round pick, and then settle for their fourth, or ask for the fourth and settle for a fifth. Mm-hmm. I think you can get a mid-round pick for Cordy Glenn. I honestly do. He's a starting caliber tackle who has positional versatility, at least at the college level. Of course, he's been out of college for quite some time. But like you said, he was asked to play left guard last year. Um, and so he has that positional versatility, his incredible size. He's he's a veteran, and he's got a cap hit of nine and a half million dollars. It's not unreasonable to think that that could fetch a fourth round pick, you know, assuming that a team who's willing to offer that believes that there's not going to be any issue that 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 presented themselves last year in Cincinnati. I, I'm not just I, I want to keep Cordy Glenn, but uh, yeah, I'm not just going to want to release him like some people. I think Paul Daner has, has indicated that he's not going to play again for the Bengals, although Paul Daner had also said that. You know, when this whole fiasco was blowing up at the beginning of the season, Corey Glenn had played his last down, and then he obviously made those starts toward the end of the year. Sure. Um, so yeah, I don't know how. Much- I mean, and, and they uh, they were willing to, you know, cut bait on Preston Brown during the year. Yep. Um, you know, so if it was that bad with Cordy, they, they could have done that. Well, <laughs> te- te- technically, they could. Well, they, you can you can never cut an injured player. So if they would sure they, sure. Or- yeah, I, I mean, when you know, yeah, when when he was back, when he was ruled healthy, they, you know, because you're right. When, really, yeah, around they, that time, they, you know, they must have had an inkling. Uh, we hadn't seen Fred Johnson yet, but Fred Johnson had been there. You know, right. we know we got more time at the end of the year. You know, uh, um, they they probably had an inkling that things are going that direction. They, you know, they could have, uh, you know, worked it out a little bit longer with with Smith or Jerry or something, and worked in and Fred Johnson there. If they yep. just want to Glenn out, you know? Yeah. I, I think, though, look, they, they have seven dra- – they they're not going to get any comp picks. So um, they have seven picks, one in each round. They're going to get a pick for Dalton. We'll see what that is. Um, so that's an eighth pick. And then I would, again, try to trade Glenn for – I would try to trade Glenn. I wouldn't try to just release him. I would try to get some a draft pick out of him. And I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he could fetch that. And yeah, so that, and, and uh, yeah, he he definitely has the the value there, and I mean, I I think there's value in keeping him, but you know, like you said, that that trade value is there as well. So if they do keep him around, I mean, he's a great candidate to to deal mid year. Yeah, uh, you know, to you know, maybe he's maybe he's starting at guard at left guard for the Bengals, um, you know, but somebody wants to start him at left tackle, so so they're yep. willing to pay for it and. Um, and maybe Michael Michael Jordan or Billy Price is looking a little better by that point, and it's like you know what, let's let's get the young, you know, let's try out one of these young guys in there, and 
and move on. Um, I could see that. And you may have a desperate team at the trade deadline during the season next year that may offer even more. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's, it's a left tackle. I mean, yep. you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Some, you're, I mean, think about the Patriots this year. Uh, yep. with, with the injuries that they had on the offensive line. I mean, you know, it's definitely if somebody loses their left tackle, uh, you could you can you could get more than he's worth for that. And he comes Correct. in at a, at a low number for them that's not gonna, you know, mess up their cap for the year. Right. You could leverage now he'd only be signed throughout that remainder of that year. So the team sure. acquiring him would have to uh weigh that. But you could, the Bengals could leverage a team that lost a tackle or that is in the thick of a playoff push. And even if the Bengals mm-hmm. are, if Cordy's a guard or a backup you can wait and kind of squeeze a team that really needs him and then get the highest pick. Of course, that pick then wouldn't come until 2021, so you got to weigh that as well. But um, but honestly, if, if some team – if I'm in negotiations and a team offers a fourth, I jump on that deal now I'm talking about. Even if a team offers me a fifth for Cordy Glenn, it clears nine and a half off the books, so you get that advantage. Then you get that extra fifth-round pick. Um yeah. I, I would do that deal, but I just want to just look to release him. I would look to get some value to recoup a draft pick for him. To, so, so to, Bobby Hart, uh, yeah, what, what kind of hit are they taking if they if they cut Bobby Hart? So if they if they cut him, they'll they'll take a two million dollar dead cap hit, but dead money hit, but they'll still they'll still clear four point eight five million. So a lot of people think, oh, it's two million in dead money, but they still have an overall saving even with that two million dead money on the books. They still mm. save eight point or four point eight five million, so just under five, even with the dead money. But to your okay. point, Matt, I don't think they will cut Bobby Hart, not because of what savings they'll bring. You know, Bobby played better last year. Let's give credit where credit's due. Is he a great tackle? By no means. And I think a lot of people got on Bobby Hart last year when he signed that deal. But the reality is, Bobby Hart didn't give himself that deal. Like <laughs> the Bengals gave the Bengals, he negotiated that deal, right? He didn't give it to him himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 it wasn't just presented to him. He negotiated. So people, you know, were, were, I think a lot of the anger was like misplaced at him. It's like if somebody presented anybody with that deal of, of a player, of his caliber, he's going to sign him. I can't blame the player for doing that. So oh, with absolutely. that said, you know, with that said, I, he played a little better, you know, he wasn't a true total disaster, which I know is not a great standard. You know, it's not a ringing endorsement, but I, you know, I, you, you, I, can, you I, can survive with him. I mean, you, you can, can. And, and, that's, and that's, that's really the truth of it. You can survive with him at that spot. And, and I think, look, that's not what you want, right. um, but you're not going to have 22 guys who are elite, you know, yeah, uh, right. starting, starting for you. Uh, sometimes you're going to have those guys that are, you know, I, I think Drake Kirkpatrick is another one that uh, I think a lot of fans take a negative turn on, but he's a good, solid NFL starter, uh, and, you know, and, and, and that's the fact of it. And, you know, and, and, you know, you'd like to have two absolutely elite corners. Um, and maybe if you're a better team with, you know, less, less issues, <laughs> that's right. what you look to do is, Use your first round pick or something on on a on a corner and and, and flip that and upgrade that spot. Right. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, like we're fine with Bobby Hart. You know, and, yeah. and I did like what um, what Tobin said at the combine. There was an interview with Tobin where they asked him about you know, do you take certain positions off your board? And he specifically said, "Well, if there's an offensive lineman there, we're going to take you know, we're going to yeah. going to take the good offensive lineman because." I, I personally, people are, a lot of people are, are mock drafting right tackles. You know, they're mock drafting tackles to the Bengals. 
Um, and, and I think there's a great value there potentially in the second round of that position. Me too. But I don't think they see it as a priority because I think they like Hart a lot more than we do. Um, they probably do. But and, if... Uh, but, but but yeah, I mean, you know, if 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 Josh Jones is there, yeah. if Makai Becton, you know, one of those guys slips and that's the value pick, you know, it's, it's good to know that they're open to it. Yeah, I think I think they would be open. I think they tried to trade even after signing Hart last year. I think the rumor was they tried to trade up for um, Cody Ford from uh, Oklahoma last year mm-hmm. uh, before Buffalo picked him before they actually ended up trading down last year in the second round. But I do yeah, think third Taylor was around there was around there, too. Yep. So there yeah. were a couple last year that slipped into that area that That's right. they, they were I seeing pretty good solid prospects. Yeah, depending on how the round one breaks and who's left there, I think maybe they take an eye, as Jeff Hobson said, the best defensive player regardless of position on, at pick 33. But, you know, if a tackle is there that's unexpected to be there and he's there at 33, um, I don't see them having any issue pulling the trigger there. And then just using Bobby Hart, having him compete with Bobby. Or then, you know, if the, if the rookie wins the job, great. And then now you have Bobby as a swing tackle for at least one more year and sign for two more years. Um, so you can use him that way. And one tackle that, you know, I know this off topic, but I, I do like, I'd like to hear your thoughts quickly about, I, I really like this kid from Auburn um, who's only played football, I think, since the age of 14. He's, he's a guy from Nigeria. His name is Prince. Yes. Tago Wanogo, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but <laughs> I see I see just an absolute road grading right tackle who's kind of nimble for his feet, and by all accounts, he's going to kill the combine next month. I'm excited to see where he I, I kind of see him projected anywhere between the second and third round, but you know how the draft process is. These guys kind of catch fire here, move up these boards. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of interested in seeing where his evaluation is. I like that guy. I'll be honest with you, he's um I'm I'm much higher than on him than most people are. Um I, I, I think he's going to be, you know, he currently is. And I think, I think he's going to end up being a top five tackle for me, which in this draft is saying something because there could yeah. be five gone in the first round. Yeah. Um, and, and before I had this realization about the Bengals that I, that I don't think they're going to target a tackle in round two, you know, I, I was guilty of, of mock drafting him to the, to, uh, to the Bengals in round two. Um, yeah. I, I like him a lot. There are def- there are some injury concerns. Uh, he, I believe he actually should have played for the Bengals uh, uh, South team in the senior bowl. Uh, but, but he, yes. uh, he was pulled from the senior bowl. He had, I believe he had some fluid in his knee or something like that. Yeah. He failed uh, a medical. Yep. Yeah. So he, he had failed a medical there. So uh, have to see how that checks out, but right. yeah, I, I, I like him a lot. Um, Me too. And, and even like, uh, you know, we, we, I mentioned Jones and Becton, um, but now all of a sudden, Andrew Thomas from Georgia is like, he's like yesterday's news. Like that was a guy that was in top five and yep. there's all these other guys that people like. So, I mean, yep. it comes down to who people like, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're only taking one guy and, um, like there's some really good players there. It's going to come down. I think it's, we're going to see the same thing with receiver, I think too, where yep. it's going to come down to, you know, what, what, what flavor you're looking for, you know, what, what your style is. Yeah. Um, and there's potential for some very good players, you know, both those spots to, to drop. And um, yeah, I mean, and I would look at it too, that, I mean, it doesn't exactly work with Cordy Glenn where we're talking about potentially trading it for a tackle, but you know, I, th- I think there's a, the Bengals might have an opportunity to, to flip one of these players. They're talking about trading just to move up 10 spots or something yeah. and you know get into the 20s and take one of these guys that, that you know as, as they slip that if it's somebody that they think is like a top 10 kind of guy on their board 
You can definitely do that. You can do it with a team that has a lot of cap space that doesn't mind taking on that cap, especially with a veteran player. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. Cordy and, and Drake Kirkpatrick would be prime examples. And yeah, do a, a, a pick swap, just the reverse of how Cordy was acquired. Cordy was acquired when we traded down. Just do the same thing and flip Cordy or flip one of the veteran players and move up. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you'd have to have a team willing to do that with you, but I could definitely see that as well. I, I Absolutely. And, you know, like... Uh... I mean, I guess the Chiefs are a bad example because that's one draft pick ahead of us. But uh, <laughs> there's no reason to do that other than the other than the fifth year deal. But um, that's right. But uh, you know, if you could find somebody like that who, uh, you know, maybe maybe like the Saints. You know, like like let's say the Saints wanted wanted a tackle. Um, I have no idea if they're looking for a tackle or not. But mm-hmm. you know, they've got a 40 year old quarterback. Maybe they don't want to take the rookie tackle that they're not sure they can plug. And they're like, you know what? We've seen enough on Cordy Glenn. We know he's going to be fine this year. We got to make a run this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so speaking of veterans though, uh, and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll touch on this. We'll, we'll have to, we'll, we'll get into the defense next week. Uh, but in, in terms of the market, uh, you know, Brian Balaga, uh, Anthony Costanzo are out there. Those are a couple of older guys. Uh, Jack Conklin, um, he's had a, a little bit of an injury is- issue, uh, but, but he's a, he's a younger guy at tackle that's out there. Yep. Um, you know, uh, it's terms of guards, Graham Glasgow, cause of his, of the connection with his brother is a, is a, as a uh, popular name. Uh, yep. Joe Tooney from the Patriots, probably going to get a pretty big payday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who, who do you think might be, you know, potential targets and, you know, at decent numbers for the, the Bengals to bring able to bring in a veteran offensive lineman this year? Yeah, great question. You hit on all those names, too, that I that, that are the names that are circulating that I've thought of as well. I do think based on our Bobby Hart discussion and, and how we think really not our evaluation, but what how we we think the Bengals internally view him. Uh, I do think that causes them to shy away from a, a right tackle, certainly Conklin. And even if they had a gaping hole, if Bobby Hart wasn't even in the picture, it would just be incredibly unbengal like for them to, to sign a Jack Conklin. Jack Conklin is a former first-round pick who mm-hmm. didn't have his fifth-year option exercised. His fifth-year option was declined. Uh, we've mentioned you know, the John Ross issue before. But you know Conklin is, 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 is redeemed himself, so to speak, and he's developed into a solid right tackle. With, he's still young. I think he's still only 26, and he can further develop into a— a Pro Bowl level um, right tackle if he isn't already. And so I think Conklin is looking at a deal like Trent Brown signed last year with the Raiders. And Trent Brown was not as good as a player as, as Jack Conklin. Huge guy, but not as good technically. And he signed for $16.5 million average uh, for five years with Oakland. And so I think uh, Conklin is going gonna, is gonna to be around that, maybe like a five-year $80 million deal. That's 16. You know, five-year $85 million, that's 17. And I think that he's going to he's he's the top priority. He's the highest rated offensive lineman. Uh, I don't know, line, but certainly the highest rated right tackle. And those that right tackle market took a huge jump last year with Trent Brown and Lane Johnson is at 18 million. But even like Jawan James, who you mentioned, who signed with the Dolphins last year, he was just under 13 million. So the right tackle market took a jump last year. And I think Conklin um, is, has always been out of the Bengals price range just historically, from a historical perspective, but even more so, in addition to price, the price range, it's just because of how I think they view Bobby Hart. I don't think they'll approach a right tackle. Although if they were going to do one, I think because of his age, he's he's up there, but he's, you know, he's only, I think, 30, but he's, of course, younger or, or 
older than Conklin, like a Brian Balaga could make sense if the Bengals, for whatever reason, you know, let's say we're reading the Bobby Hart tea leaves incorrectly and they go after a Balaga. I could see Balaga doing like a three-year, $36 million deal at the high end. That's $12 million per, or even really down to like $3 million, or three years, $30 million, $10 million per. You know, he's already kind of made his money. Um you know, and and I think he could be had on a shorter term deal for a lesser APY than certainly a Jack Conklin would. Costanzo too. Costanzo's more of a left tackle, and uh, you know I see Costanzo uh, right around that 16, 17 million mark, which is standard really for left tackles. Um, so like a five year seventy five for Costanzo. Although Costanzo I think is a little older, right? I mean, it, um, yeah, not a, uh, yeah. I, be- I believe he's he, he's up there. I think he's I think he's in his mid thirties. Oh, mid thirty. So maybe not, maybe not that much, maybe not not that that high of an uh, of a of a gross amount and and years, but you know maybe like a a, a shorter term deal, but at a pretty substantial APY, just because he he's still playing at a high level and he plays a premium position, left tackle. Uh, he, so you know he's only he's only thirty one. I I, I thought he was a couple years older than that. He's on, he's on the plus side of thirty, but even then, yeah. I, so I, I I I think a team may still throw out a five-year deal with him, obviously with those last couple of years being non-guaranteed, having no guaranteed money in him. So it kind of, you know, inflates the value really of the contract, but he's going to get a substantial deal. You know, there, there's a dearth of left tackles, there's a dearth of offensive linemen. There are plenty of teams that have cap space and that need to spend the cash to get within the spending requirements. Um, and so Costanzo is going to get a good amount of money where I do think the Bengals can make some, some, Hayway in, in free agency and then really which would allow them to open up the draft is at the guard position and you name those guys Joe Tooney is likely gonna um you know Brandon Brooks for Philadelphia and, and Zach Martin are the high water marks for guards are at 14 million Brooks is actually just over 14 million but like Andrew Norwell who was an undrafted free agent but played at Ohio State and signed uh, with Jacksonville a couple years ago he's just over 13 you know Joe Tooney I think is going to blow those out of the water you got a couple factors for him I think the Patriot, you know, mystique kind of adds, you know, to his price tag. You look at a guy like Trevor Flowers last year who signed for 18 million as a defensive end, but, you know, Patriot, he had a great year. But, you know, I think that whole Patriot mystique kind of uh, increases the value. And I don't think that's necessarily uh, justified because a lot of these times when you take them out of these, the Patriot system, these guys kind of regress towards the mean, so to speak, a little bit. So I don't know why that bump comes up just because, oh, they're former Patriots, Patriot way. But even with that, Tooney is a great player. I, I do think sometimes he can get – he's not the most – he's not the strongest guy at the point of attack, but that's really not what he's asked to do in that scheme. And so – but he is technically sound, as you know, obviously. He's incredibly durable, technically sound. He's only – he's in the prime of his career, but he's going to make – it wouldn't actually surprise me to see him hit the $15 million mark to be the highest paid guard in league history and be the first guard to reach $15 million a year. So like 15 – Times five for a five-year deal is a seventy-five million-dollar deal, Oof. which he's probably looking at forty million of that guaranteed, just because he's going to be in high demand. The Patriots are unlikely to tag him, so he'll hit the open market, and he's going to get a pretty substantial deal. The one player I think you mentioned is brother, being uh, Ryan Glasgow, but I've always liked Ryan Glasgow, even coming out of Michigan. The guy can play guard, obviously center. Uh, he's incredibly cerebral by all accounts, a smart guy. His parents, I think, are both orthopedic surgeons. So, you know, just from the DNA that's passed down, those, those, they're incredibly smart people. Uh, but he's a good sound technical lineman and he's coming off his rookie deal. These are the guys you want to target coming into their prime veteran players. And I think Glasgow can probably be had like around the $11 million mark, right? 
And you may think, oh, the Bengals will never spend that for a guard. You know, they let Zeitler walk for $12 million. But, you know, that was already three years ago. Sure. Um, and, and you know, times have changed. And I think maybe some people have gotten to Mike Brown if he's still ultimately making the personnel decisions, no matter how much they tell you Duke Tobin is. I still think Mike still has the ultimate up or down vote if he wants. And I think he could be convinced into signing a Graham Glasgow because, look, you have Jonah Williams at left tackle. You have Trey Hopkins extended at center. What a what better place to start your offensive line for Joe Burrow than plugging in, you know, literally putting in a plug-and-play starter in Graham Glasgow. He's not going to break the bank. He is going to cost some, but I think his cost is in line with what the Bengals would be willing to spend in free agency. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a little uncomfortable spending at that position, which they historically don't value. But times change, man. Those interior linemen, as you know, Coach, they they got to block the Aaron Donalds, the Geno Atkins, the Fletcher Coxes, the Jarrell Casey's. They got to block those guys. And, you know, the value of guards is increasing. I really think if you're an offensive lineman, regardless of your position, you're going to get paid these days in the NFL. And I think like a four-year, $46 million deal, that's $11.5 million APY. I would be comfortable doing that. It, it fits nicely within the Bengals' uh, salary cap. And uh, it, it's just it opens up the draft. You're not needing to draft alignment. And it really do you really want to count on Mike Jordan and Billy Price? You know, maybe they get better. Maybe they battle it out. Former Buckeyes and, and the Bengals find something in one of them. I do think Mike or um, uh, Mike Jordan does have potential. I, I'm not saying he doesn't. But do you want to go into the season banking on that? I don't. I nope. You have the money. You have the need. And you have the fit here with Graham, Graham Glasgow. Plug him in at left guard and off you go. One need is off the books. Yes, it will cost you. It's not going to cost you as much as Joe Tooney. But you're going to get a very solid guard who has the potential to be more than solid, to be an all, to be a Pro Bowl caliber, caliber guard. I think Pro Bowl. Glass does a great one, too, because the, the extended Trey Hopkins are ready. Yep. So then you'd have Hopkins and Glasgow both play center and guard. You know, yep. kind of locking up two of those positions. Yep. You know, John Miller, they, they brought in last year, wasn't great. Um, you know, so I think, but I think right now that's your third interior guy. And yep. then you have the young guys. You have Jordan and Price, you know, to to push those guys and a little bit of position flexibility with Price as well. Um, you know, like, you got to have some competition. Like like you said, I like I like Jordan. I thought Jordan looked a lot better as the year went on. Yep. I actually thought there was a game late in the year where Billy Price started for John Miller at right guard, and I thought Billy Price looked a lot better at right guard than he had looked at center or left guard. Mm-hmm. Um, I so I haven't, you know, I haven't completely given up on Billy Price, um, but like you don't want to bank on guys like that. Like you give yep. them an opportunity to, to but you gotta you gotta bring in competition you know and obviously glasgow isn't you know you, you sign a guy for 11 million that that guy's playing and trey yep. hopkins is playing uh and now you you know the ohio state guys you're hoping one of those guys beats out john miller for that for that third interior yep. spot um and then, and then the other guy you need two because you need you need you need four interior guys and three tackles yep you know like that can play because they're gonna play you know, I think yeah, the, right. people love to talk about continuity on the offensive line, uh, but you're not going to start the same five guys all year. You gotta, you gotta have right. seven, at least seven guys that can play. Yep, I agree. And you, you, like you said, you could, you look. John Miller had up and downs. He had some, some really good games and some games that were not so great. Um, like you said, Jonah Williams left tackle. 
Graham Glasgow ideally left guard. You got Hopkins signed up now for three more years. Have a three-way competition. Miller, uh, Jordan, and Price at mm-hmm. right guard. Have them battle it out all offseason, all throughout training camp. Best man wins. And then you have Bobby Hart with ostensibly what's going to be a rookie at some point in there, and Fred Johnson potentially. And then you're going to have another rookie, whether it's an undrafted player, a mid-round pick, a late-round pick, that's probably going to be an interior lineman as well. Probably looking at multiple linemen being drafted. So those that's added competition. But yeah, I, I want to cross off a need prior to the draft. And I want to do it by doing it aggressively, by signing a player on who's coming off his rookie deal, you know, on the right side of 30, who is looking for his first contract off his rookie deal, who's entering his prime, who is a veteran, obviously, and who doesn't just, you know, you're not just like treading water with a position. Yeah, you get John Miller at like a $5 million deal. Great, that's decent value, but you haven't really solved the position. Graham Glasgow solves the left guard position. He solves that immediately. Yes, you're going to have to pay, but you pay for good players. So you solve the position. You go into the draft with one less need. That is the entire point of free agency. And Graham Glasgow is not going to be the highest paid guard, but he will play well. You know, if he stays healthy, the guy's going to be, he'll compete. He'll play very well. He can even play at at a Pro Bowl level. I think he was... He had three holding penalties, and Pro Football Focus did not. They credited him with zero sacks allowed. Oh wow! Uh, I mean, so he he has a very high. In fact, his Pro Football Focus grade is not too different than Joe Tooney's overall grade. I'm not sure what the run pass splits are in that grade, but I think the overall grade is very similar. I think Graham Glasgow is just beneath him. So if you talk about value, Tooney's going to get. Tooney may be the highest paid guard. He's likely to become the highest paid guard. Graham Glasgow won't. Graham Glasgow may be like a top ten or a top five depending on his deal, because, you know, the open market does get crazy. But I honestly think that's a player, that's a reasonable enough player. It's it's more than a John Miller. It's That'd be a great signing to me, not just from the Bengals standard, but that's a targeted signing at an area of need, at a player who's just coming off his rookie deal in his prime that good teams make. Teams that are committed to winning make those types of signings. And don't think twice about it. And I got to be honest with you, just, you know, the way you were, were talking about the, the depth uh, on the offensive line, you know, you're re- even removing Cordy Glenn from the picture um, with with Hart, uh, Jonah in there, uh, Fred Johnson on the outside, and, and those guys we talked about inside. Mm-hmm. I feel pretty good about that group. You know, yeah, that's like, that's even before the draft. Yeah, that's and, the, and the, again, yeah, that's before the draft, and, and you know, I th- I think it's likely that they do come away with a with at least a you know a guard or or, or some offensive lineman on, right. on day three at least. But yep. um, like I feel pretty pretty decent about that depth. You know, better than I've I've felt in a while about the about the depth they've had on the offensive line. So same um, here. And, and again, that's like, just one sign. If, if you have the opportunity, and all of a sudden you're sitting there at, at 33, and and you can't you can't believe the offensive tackle that's staring you in the face, you take him, you know. And yep. You know, and if, and if it if uh really any of the guys from LSU basically are available in, in round three or round four, you know, like yeah, maybe maybe you add a Damian Williams or a Christian Berry or something like that. But um, but yeah, th- th- that's the point is feel good about it going into the draft. Exactly. Um, you don't. You don't like. Hey, we can take Joe Burrow and say he's going to be our starter because we got the number one pick. But you can't rely. You can't go into the draft and say, well, we need to find a starting uh, uh, offensive guard in round two. Right. You, you don't know who's going to be there. That's <laughs> planning to. That's planning to fail. That that's actually no plan. That's hope, and hope is yeah. not a plan. 
It's a hope yeah. somebody's there, and then you're reaching, and that leads to a Billy Price type of pick. But like you said, I haven't completely given up on him, although you know he's struggled, obviously. But you're right. I mean, and that's just the one signing of Glasgow where yep. you yep. you rattle off those names, how comfortable you feel. That's one quality signing, and he does it. He opens up the draft, and he really solidifies, obviously, the left guard position. But his positional versatility, if, if Hopkins goes down, God forbid, he can kick inside the center. Um, but he just solidifies the room in general. Right. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he just and that's one quality signing that really does that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I look at it like with Price and Ross, it's the same thing. We got to stop thinking about stop saying we should have taken, you know, Patrick Mahomes because <laughs> you're right. We should have. And, and guess what? The eight, the eight teams in front of us should have as well. Um, <laughs> but like, look, right now he's a guy in the team, you know. Uh, and, and it's going to become a money thing in a few months here, but right now he's the guy in the team. And is he, is he one of the best guys It's the same thing with price, you know, mm-hmm. like, Hey, the guaranteed money, you know, you know, the, the, um, uh, the bonus, you know, that's prorated. That's already gone. You right. know, so you're, you're just worried about what he's making. Um, you know, and, and he's not making, you know, he's not making a ton of base salary. So right it, right now it comes down to, can we figure out how to make it work with this guy? And then, and then, yeah, when it gets to an extension, he, he very well may not be worth the, uh, you know, paying for that fifth year with, uh, but right now when you have him and you have him at a reasonable salary, it's about, can we make something out of this guy? You know, can we make him a reliable starter, which is not what you want out of a first round pick, but when he's on your roster, you can't be looking at him as a first round pick. You got to be looking at him as, as a guy on your roster. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you got to deal with reality. I mean, and reality is he, he's what he is at this point, and he could potentially recoup, but um, you're right. I mean, you got to salvage what you can at this point. All right. Well, we are uh, uh, we are, are deep into the second hour here uh, of this conversation, so we're gonna we're gonna have to hold off the defense. Uh, yeah. We'll probably be back next week and talk a little bit of defense. Uh, so make sure everybody you come back for that. We'll talk about. Uh, the possibility of a Carl Lawson extension. We'll talk about, uh, you know, a popular linebacker name in, in Corey Littleton, what, what a Corey Littleton or a Joe Sherbert might look like. Uh, you know, we'll talk about a Jackson uh, extension. And, and yes, we'll talk about, um, you know, does it make financial sense uh, to move on from Drake Kirkpatrick? So, uh, and uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a little warning on this one, Andre. Um, as I will be doing with all of my guests for the next uh, several weeks, I will be, we will be getting uh, Andre's uh, official Joe Burrow comp uh, at the end of that next <laughs> conversation as well. So, uh, but yeah, uh, so, so we'll have that and then we'll have uh, plenty of draft content and free agency coverage uh, on Cincy jungle and orange and black insider throughout, uh, throughout the off season uh, as we, you know, move on with a, with a new hope and burrow, Looking forward to the 2020 season. So uh, see you back here next week and go Bengals. Go Bengals. Thanks for having me, Matt. Look forward to continuing the conversation next week. You hear the crowd coming forward with sours. Yeah, we're coming forward with sours. Yeah, we're coming forward with sours.